It might be more comfortable to try to blend in, but when we find the confidence to live differently than what's popular, we find deeper trust in God and more joy in our personal identity. So how do we do it? Hi, and welcome to Magnify, an LDS Living podcast where we cheer, inspire, and embolden each other as women and followers of Christ. We hope to use our influence to make a difference in the world. I'm your host, Katherine Davis, a mom, a seminary teacher, and a grilling enthusiast who loves God. I think it can be very natural as women to compare ourselves to others. I know I do a lot. And we are trying to find ways to stand out and be different. In fact, part of our Magnify Manifesto this year was to live different. But what does that even mean? Perhaps instead of trying to stand out or isolate ourselves from others, we follow the prophet's counsel to live distinct and different in happy ways by following the Savior. And by being disciples of Jesus Christ, we are already doing that. Someone who I think practices this and lives her faith differently in a very powerful way is my friend and friend to the pod, Lisa Valentine Clark. Today, we are going to discuss three questions to help us live differently. Lisa, I am so glad you're here. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. And I think this is going to be an interesting conversation, and we're just going to get right in to three questions that can help us live different. Okay. Okay, so the first question when we're talking about how we can live different is how do you find the courage and confidence to live different in every aspect of life, especially because in the gospel, it acts, it asks us to live different, which is often so different than popular culture. Oh, yeah, it's such a good question. I think that um, a lot of times people have the f- assumption that all all members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints are, are the same, right? Or all Christians are the same. They're all like this because they're portrayed very singularly in art, which is just a call and a shout out that we need more, you know, realistic portrayals of people of faith on TV. So that's my first little plug. But I, I, I think that this idea that that's always the assumption because we worship God in the same way. We are in similar ways. We have the same rituals and the same beliefs. And so there is this tendency, I think a lot of times to look around like, well, okay, so I, I have this commandment and I know you have it. So how do you, how are you doing it? Okay. So how am I doing it? It's like, we're, it's almost like we're guessing and checking in with our, with other people. So I think a lot of times, especially within a faith-based community, we look around and it in our honest desire just to do good and do right by God, to check ourselves to see if we're doing okay. And I think the courage of living authentically is to get rid of that, which I think is the exact pattern that we see just in popular society today. We're looking around, okay, what's acceptable, what's not, what's everybody wearing this season, what's everybody listening to, what it, what's popular, what's not, you know, and we're checking ourselves, right? And checking our temperature. And instead of that, I, I really am um, inspired, I think, by two things to live differently. The first is I'm obsessed with Paul, not just because my late husband portrayed Paul in the Bible.org videos, but that's a big part to do with it. Because when he was preparing for that, we studied Paul for like a year. Because, you know, usually in acting, you can, you know, flub a couple of words, not not when you're quoting scripture. So I would deep yeah. dive into Paul taught me, um, I, I, you know, in First Corinthians, when we talk about the body of Christ, 
and you need all parts of the body in order to function as a whole. And so I think the first thing I try to remember in that is that, you know, the hand, the eye, the foot, the head, the fingers, every part of your body is different and has a different function. And if we all tried to be the same, it would be uh, grotesque and wouldn't work. So when I feel particularly maybe alone in a situation or weird, which I feel a lot, or isolated because I feel like nobody's really kind of like living my life and not in a like a braggy way, but in a what went wrong way. Uh, I try to remember that, that, that we all have these unique talents and identities and intelligences that we are expected to use in our sphere. And that it's going to look totally different from person to person. So I think that's, I think, I don't know if that's a courageous thing to do, but it definitely is a mindset. And I think the second way is I just, I'm from the Midwest. And so I'm from like middle America. I'm, I grew up in Nebraska and, and so I was lucky enough to be raised in a family with parents surrounded by people who were all super different than me. And I, because that was like how I was raised and how I came in to my own, I mean, I really had some really great experiences of, of just being different and in good and bad ways, to be honest, and in socially acceptable ways and also not socially acceptable ways. And it really culminated in an experience as a preteen and teen to go, oh, so this is how you're going to live the rest of your life. And I don't know if everyone has an existential crisis at 12 years old. I don't know, (laughs) but I did. I was super into like um, space and science fiction and like how everything worked. And I remember considering, oh, I'm a speck of dust on a speck of dust on a speck of dust in the universe. So who cares about anything? Like nothing matters. At 12 years old, (laughs) in my little brick house in Lincoln, Nebraska. I would have loved to have known 12-year-old Lisa. She was intense. And she liked (laughs) swing choir and science fiction and hanging out with her friends and making faces and like, what? Oh, poor, poor Lisa. What What will become of you? And I remember that I had a profoundly spiritual experience about it of, of praying to say, like, does any of this really matter? Like, you know, of, of all, why would God care about me? What am I supposed to do with my life? If I'm really going to live as a member of this gospel, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which I was considering at that time, I was like, I, then my life and my choices of what I do on the weekends and what I where, what I eat, what I drink, like all the, I, those little things, but even bigger things of like, what I decide to, how do I decide to spend my time, what I'm going to think about, how I'm going to live my life, like forward, like I meant my whole life is going to look a lot different than all of my friends and people I know, because I was one of the just like less than five kids in my high school that did that. And so I thought, am I going to be different just to be different? Or am I going to be different because this is who I am. And so that gave me a lot of confidence moving forward because even now as in my late forties, I'm like, yeah, but you know that like, this is just how you're going to live your life. You just know. And so that, that gives me confidence now 
to sort of not care because then it plays out, right? So from twelve yeah. to forty nine is a is a huge time span, and in that I've just had, you know, I've made my choices. I've made a lot of decisions, and I think that's an important thing to remember uh, that once you make those decisions, it makes the next decision easier and easier because you just think I'm on this course, and you know. I, I still have an existential crisis from here to, uh, or there every now, just to keep things fresh, you know, just to say, is this really like how I want to live my life? Is this really, you know, who I want to be? Is this who I am to God? And, you know, is this authentic to me or not? I check in and, and, and things like that. But I think that that sort of personal commitment and practice in expressing it by making choices and checking in with God for me has been like the compass for my whole life. I think that's so important. And it's in the making choices and then living with those choices that we get to know, do I like living this way? Yeah. Is this bringing me joy? Is this bringing me happiness? Do I like the person I'm becoming? Or maybe do I need to take another look and maybe make some different choices? And also reevaluating like what your motives are. Are my motives for being this to be uh, more acceptable to those around me to fit in an yeah. environment? Or is this because I want to express a talent? Is this how I feel connected and authentic? Or is this how I keep the peace? You know, all of that, those kinds of questions about our motivations, about why we're doing that, just checking in is, I think, so important. Because like you said, even in the question, this idea of comparison, I mean, it's so intense and it's gotten more intense since I was a kid because of social media. And I'm not a social yeah. media hater. I think that it actually can be really connecting and inspiring if you find your right tribe, but it can also be not only isolating, but it can also be really damaging to give you, you know, an echo chamber, right? And and can be very uh, self-harming as well. So again, our motivations for why we do the things we do, I think have have a lot to do with like keeping that compass of being different by just being purely authentic, not just, mm. you know, being different isn't just being different from someone else because that's a comparison, right? But it is being authentic to you and who you want to become. That's the same person. That's within the same sphere. I think sometimes maybe growing up outside of the state of Utah, we have to make that choice. Are we going to be different? Because being a member of the church makes us often different. And then sometimes being in Utah, I think we feel like we have to fit in in a certain mold. Oh, yeah. In order to be a good member of the church, right? We have to look a certain way and talk a certain way and act a certain way and do the service projects the same way. And and I even felt like that a lot in my community and my family that I had to look a certain way in order to be a member of the church. And when we talk about having courage and confidence to live differently, you talked about all the body parts of Christ, that the 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 body makes up the church of Christ, that we are the church of Christ. But hmm. sometimes I thought, well, I don't really want to be the big toe. Like, right. how like right. how do we find courage to like be different? Like when you're different? the elbow and the eye is telling you how great you are, you're like, okay, so right? You're like, right? like yes. Oh, don't patronize me, 100%. <laughs> I, I hear you. It, like, right? And so how, how do you find the courage to live differently, even amongst people who profess the same faith and are of the same faith? Let me tell you, I wish that I were the big toe, but I'm like one of the 
the other ones, not the pinky toe, not the one that you don't even know if it has a name. It's like the third one over and everyone's like, is the that- one that if it breaks, it doesn't matter. Yeah. They're like, oh, it'll just seal. Marathon, like nobody cares. But she's like, hey, here I am. We ha- cannot take ourselves so seriously. Right. Because I think, you know, in your question and in the the comparison, there's this there's this underlying like I want to be special. Uh, when yeah. when we talk about being different, sometimes we talk about it as being synonymous with making a difference, being special, being noticed for how different I am. You know, I always joke with my kids that I am the real maverick because I don't have any tattoos and everybody has a tattoo, right? Like, because everybody wants to be different or whatever, you know, and, and our motivation for all those things are different, but like, is it that you want to be different or, and stand out or do you want to be special and stand out? Like, those are two different things. So I think that there's kind of like two different questions in your question. And I think for me, moving to Utah and going from not being surrounded by members of the church to being surrounded was quite difficult in a way that I hadn't anticipated. I had a, a couple of roommates um, who I didn't know before who were really judgmental. It was almost as if like I was so considered so conservative and so religious and so like too much like where I grew up. And then I went to BYU and suddenly I was too liberal and too, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, accepting of this and that and the other, whatever. And like, I was the same person. And that was a really interesting wake up call to me because I thought, oh, okay. So there was a little shame, like, should I be worried about this? And then there was this indignant, there's nothing wrong with me. How dare you, you know, yeah. judge me. But everyone's, and especially in college, like people are just trying to figure it out. Right. And I do think that there is this hyper focus and anxiety that if we're different, it means I'm doing something wrong instead of being generous and saying, you know, being a good friend, being a good Christian is loving someone with an intensity that they feel like they can be their most vulnerable, authentic self. And if someone isn't feeling that from you, like I wasn't feeling from my one of my first roommates, then that says more about their motivation for being the way that they are than it says about my expression of, of, of who I am. And that took me a long time to be able to to talk (laughs) about calmly, because I think that uh, a lot of people, unfortunately, love to shove people out of our worship space because they're not the same. And I am a big mama bear about that, about no, no, you don't chop off the toe that you don't know the name of or the elbow or whatever, just because you don't think that it's doing its job. That That's not what we do here. We don't exclude. And so, so that's become my focus instead of comparison. So you said you had to learn a lot about what made you good different and maybe not so good different. So I want to know, this might be a hard question, Lisa. What is a good different about Lisa Valentine Clark that you have come to embrace? A good different I used to think, and some days I still think this, so I don't want to be a hypocrite, that I was too much, right? Like too loud, too in your face, too extroverted, too friendly, and that I was, it was a liability for some of my friends that I just was too much. And I've now come to see that the kind of enthusiasm and love when it spills over is a gift. I just need to find my right audience to give it to it, you know? 
I, I used to think that I needed to, and in some days I still think this, turn it down a little bit and put on professional, you know, Lisa. And, and, um, and I do, I do think that the way that I am and the way that I see my relationships with people and, and I want to be the one that reaches out more, uh, loves more, whatever. I, I, I think that's okay. I think that's, that's a gift. Oh man, that speaks to my heart though. Like I, I get that. And I think it's hard to think, oh, that is a good different. And I want to embrace that and accept it and not try and fit in, but belong. It's really in style to be a nihilist, right? It's just, it's the thing. And if you are, and listen, I've dabbled in a little nihilism myself at certain times of my life, but there is a gift to be the one that says, I'm still here and I'm excited and and I just want to love and I want to accept even when you make me mad. And even mm-hmm. if you are not ready for it, I was going to say cowering back. It's not cool to be the cheerleader and cheering everybody on and being uh, Pollyanna and being positive. It never really has been, but I just, it's in me somehow. And life honestly has tried to beat it out of me and has on occasion, if I'm being quite honest, yeah. it has, but it, it's who I am. It's who I want to be. Well, I think that leads us into our next question about how to live different. And that is, how do we navigate real life, everyday decisions when trying to live different? I think that is a deeply personal answer you know, to that question. I will tell you a couple of stories, though. When my dear husband, Christopher, was in just the, the, the throes of ALS, right? Neurodegenerative disease, can't move, can't talk, slowly losing the ability, knowing he's dying, knowing he'll never get better. There's no treatment. There's no cure. I mean, pretty dark. And he, I, you know, we talked about everything. And he said to me one time, because people were saying, well, how do you... How do you not get depressed? And, you know, he had struggled with depression in his life, but like, ironically, the last two years of his life, which were the worst for him physically, he wasn't. He said, I'm, I'm really upset. And I think I see how unfair life is and how unfair me getting this disease is while my kids are still all at home and how I'm winding down life when I compare my life to other people. So when I look out and I think, well, he has everything. He has his health and this and that, and that, you know, you can list all the things. And I don't have that. He's like, that's when it, it would drive me nuts. But he said, when I don't compare and I just like live in my little world with my family and my friends coming over to make me laugh, he's like, I have a great life. And I look at how far we've come. And is it a life that anybody else would be envious of? I don't care, you know? And I don't think anyone would be envious of a, a, crippled man in a wheelchair slowly dying in front of his family. I don't think, and I would, I don't think anybody's jealous of you, but he's like, yeah, but like, I love my life, but I, I love it so much and appreciate it in a way that I never have. And that's a very dramatic example. It really was true to him because I knew he meant it. He wasn't like crying all day, every day. We were making dumb jokes. We were laughing a lot. We were teasing our kids. His friends were making him laugh and he was doing meaningful work. He was creating art and these plays like he was doing stuff. 
But he was like, it's just that comparison. Like, I think sometimes he had to go off social media. Sometimes he had to block certain people. He had to not think about what other people were doing in order to keep that gratitude. Right. And which was the key to him just like living this life. And he lived a more, I, no one lived a more different life than Chris Clark. And so sometimes I think about that now as I look around and I go, well, I'm just this sad widow who's like almost an empty nester and I didn't get this and I'm not that and the other and, you know, whatever. I have a lot of really attractive, successful friends and I'm very happy for them. And, and, and I want, and I am genuinely happy for them. But we all know that there's that line, right, of where you're comparing mm-hmm. and then where you're just like honoring, right, and what you give and what you bring. And certain people, I think, bring that out in you and some, for whatever reason, don't. And only you can really answer that. But I do think that it's okay, like when people sort of step away from social media for a bit or they focus on a different hobby or something that they're good at. Like, I I see those people because I get it. Yeah. And I mean, it really is true that famous saying that comparison is the thief of joy, right? That it's comparison. Well, it's comparison when it's the envy, right? Yeah. Because sometimes we're just comparing like, okay, I'm this age. Do I have this much saved in my retirement? Like you're just kind of comparing, is this typical? Is this a typical? My teenager does this. Is this typical? Is this okay? And I think that is connecting because you just, you want to know, you don't want to feel alone Hmm. in it, but it's that comparison when it turns to envy of, well, why does she have that and I don't? Or yeah. why does he get to have that be his big problem and this was mine? Like I'd swap in a minute. It's that envy instead of uh, of the touch touch points, I think. Well, I think that also relates even to personal revelation and with the challenge of our prophet to hear him, how we're all trying to receive personal revelation, but it's going to look different for each of us. And sometimes we look at so-and-so's revelation. We're like, wait, I, I didn't get that. And I don't feel that. So is something wrong with me or like what's going on here? And you actually mentioned that we sometimes throw the term personal revelation around so much, but rarely acknowledge how our individual authenticity is a vital part of receiving personal revelation. And so I want to ask you, like, what do you mean by that? Well, I think that in order to, and I love what President Nelson said in Hear Him, that conference talk, I think it was in 2020, it came at like a a very pivotal moment for me in my life. And I have read that talk so many times. And, And he says, do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to get that personal revelation. And I took that very, very seriously. And especially in the, at that time during the pandemic, I was taking care of Chris and five kids at home and starting a new job all in the middle of the pandemic. Like I, I, I desperately wanted to be like, well, who else is doing this? And am I doing it right? And I knew because it was so dramatic and such a dramatic situation that it was just me and the Lord. I mean, it really was. It was just like, it's not because I'm not good at asking for help or not because it's just like, that's all there was. When you kneel down and have desperate prayers with your heavenly father, and you are pleading for specific help that is literally life and death, right? That is so important. And you are, it's, are pleading to the Lord, boy, you better show up your full self. Cause there's, there's, there's no fooling the Lord. And there's also 
there's no benefit for you to being like, no, I can handle this or like putting on some sort of facade of like, well, I don't need help with it. You know, I mean, you let it all out. Right. And if Mm -hmm. you really are, and, and I believe, but if, if you are in that situation and you're trying to believe that, that you're really talking to God and that he's really hearing you and that he's really your eternal father, then there's no hiding anything from him. You know, like I remember thinking like, and praying, like, I know I'm complaining and I have a bad attitude and I'm heartbroken and I don't want to do this. Like I'm listing all these things that are not pretty, not great, not painting me in a great light, but they are authentic and they are real and how I really feel. And I feel like showing up your authentic self when you don't want to do something that you know is the right thing and really acknowledging, I don't want to do this but I will do it because it's the right thing. I think that counts as much as saying, I will do whatever you say and I will do it with a happy, cheerful heart. I think they both count. And I feel like there's more power and personal revelation when you show up your authentic self to God. And this is why I feel like it's so important for everyone to be able to freely accept and acknowledge who they are because sometimes it doesn't paint them in the best light. So we polish ourselves up because we think, I can't take the rejection, so I'm not going to reveal that part of myself to me. And, you know, I have a gay son and a bi non-binary child as well. And I feel like when they showed up and told me this is who I am, that it was just like a sacred experience, honestly, that they would come and say, this is who I am. How can we acknowledge God's power without also acknowledging that he knows all things and that he knows us better than we know ourselves. And through that self-discovery, isn't that personal revelation, that self-discovery? And, and you know, we could sit here in this podcast and it could be really fun just to talk about all the times that I've felt personal, you know, revelation and like what it's meant to me personally. But I will say. And how he speaks to you personally. And how he speaks to me. Because it's going to be different than me. And I think that's so important to understand. And I feel like. He, he, he speaks in, in a way that you can hear with like a voice that you can hear, you yeah. know? And so a lot of times the voice that I hear is gentle, but it will have a little um, humor to it. It will have a little cut to it sometimes, you know, it, because it's, it's the way that I need to be spoken to. And I don't think that there, you know, when I was growing up and I was one of the only members of the church there, I, I lived with with a lot of Christians, like, and a a lot of people of different faiths. And there was nothing more offensive than anyone could say to me than that. Like I didn't believe in God or I didn't worship God the right way, or that I wasn't a true Christian to me as a kid, I couldn't understand why that hurt so much and how they could be so wrong. And now as an adult, having had time to consider it and have more um, life experience, I realize it's because I knew that God could speak to me. I believed in pre- in personal revelation and to have somebody else tell me that that wasn't true was deeply offensive because I had based so much of my life on it. And cause I felt, and I still feel like it really happened. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, honestly, to live different means that I know that God is speaking to me and I accept and know and understand those moments where he is. And it's going to be different for me than for anybody else. And for a long time, like when you said that you felt like you were too much, I resonate with that because I did for a long time. 
And I thought that the spirit had to be like this quiet, peaceful emotion. And for some it is, but for me, it was always more joy and energy and enthusiasm. And if I didn't learn to recognize that that was God speaking to me to like, that's what Catherine needs to hear his voice, then I would miss it. And I don't think I can live authentically until I know how God is speaking to me. Oh, absolutely. And part of living authentically is doing the things that that the Lord would have you do that you would never sign up for or think that you would want to do or would willingly choose. And so when I was helping my very best friend and the best person that I know and the father of my children die, and the spirit was telling me some really hard things, the spirit a lot of times um, tells me things I don't want to hear and was telling me it's ALS. I'm so sorry. Yeah. He's not gonna, he will die of ALS. He is a wonderful man and he deserves a good death. And I remember praying. I mean, this is the most dramatic of just saying, well, I can't do this. So you're gonna have to find somebody else. Like, no, really just thinking like, I don't, I can do hard things. I've been doing a lot of hard things lately. I could also do some fun things. Um, How about that? You know, like I just was like in this like crazy, like bargaining place. But I'll tell you before that happened, I'd had enough experiences to be able to just sort of like, you know how people say, let go and let God or whatever. That's, that's, that really speaks to me of like, I have not figured this out. I cannot come up with an offering like, you know, the brother of Jared. Hey, take these stunts. Like, I cannot think of any good idea. I can't think of of anything that will work. And I know I have to do this. So here we are. I am so grateful that I had had enough examples of personal revelation of just knowing that my life was going to look different than other people's lives. And that's okay. And it doesn't mean that I'm special. It just means that this is my path in life. Got it. And I had enough experiences like that so that when it became impossible, I mean, there was really a, a, there was a nine month period that every day I was like, well, I can't do today. So I don't, so take it from here. And you can only live like that for so long. But during it, I remember feeling like there was this underlying support. I could trust the Lord because he had shown me that we had practiced, you know, um, when people have a life-altering experience like that. And they need it. I think, oh, the work that you need needs to happen years before that. You need to trust. Uh, And so to say that personal revelation is important in my life is is a gross understatement. I I think it's one of our, our, our greatest blessings. And it's the safety net, right? Of saying, you don't have to have everything figured out. If you practice this, then you can trust in the Lord. Which I think leads us right into this third question about understanding how we can live different. How does knowing who you are and your divine identity help you live different, Lisa? I think fundamentally it gives me a perspective of what this world is. Life will break your heart in a million different ways. It's totally shattered mine. But knowing that I am beloved of a heavenly father and heavenly mother is a game changer because it focuses my attention. It's really easy to get swallowed up in comparison and grief too. It's really easy. You know, I joke about existential crises. It's not really a joke though. It really, 
is easy to get swallowed up in the black hole of nothing matters. This is ridiculous. Why are we doing this to each other? Why are we here? When you see the people that you love um, suffer, that those are the moments where you need to, to hang on to a perspective of to take a step back and say, okay, what is this life? You know, the, those basic elementary questions. Did I choose to come to earth? I believe that I did. Um, I believe I didn't get all the information though. I will say side note. I might've been talking and yeah. missed a couple parts. I think, I think when we shouted for joy, like they say in the scriptures, I think we would approach it with a lot more reverence. Maybe we did. I don't know. Maybe we just, you know, we're different, but um, intelligences to coming to the earth. I do believe that we live again after this life. And and for me, that is, I, I, I hang on to that more than ever. And it, it really does help me live my life because now I don't just, I'm going to cry. <laughs> I don't just, it's not theoretical. Nothing is theoretical for me. I, I have put all of my life into living as authentically as I can with as much, you know, reverence to God as I can in, in a way led by personal revelation where honestly, now it is all just a bunch of hope, right? I hope for a lot of things that I have not seen. I do not know, but I hope for, and I hope for them in a way that affects every little cell in my body, every atom. I can't wait to see Chris again. And there's some days where that is really paralyzing, but mostly it's very helpful. And I'm grateful for that hope because I know where it comes from. Um, and I hope that for my kids, I hope that for every person who has ever lived on the face of the earth, because, because without it, we're all nothing without the grace of God, we're nothing. So I have hope in Christ. And, uh, so that will make all of my decisions and my focus in life very different. Hope is what helps us live different. Help is what helps me live. So you talked a little bit about your 12-year-old self. So if you were to go back to 12-year-old so Lisa, oh my God. honestly, what would you tell her about? Oh God. What would you tell her? What would I'd you say, want her to know about listen. her divine identity? I'd say, listen, there's a lot coming down and I'm not even going to tell you because you don't want to know. It's better that you don't know. So don't ask. It's a, it's a kindness, but like this way that you feel at 12, you're going to carry this with you your whole life. You will find people to connect with in, in, in profound ways. And if you find your people, you're going to be okay. That's what I would say. You, you think it's hard to, to to go to the parties and not drink, you think that's hard? That's not hard. Just wait. There's more hard. But it's fine and it'll be fine and it'll be funny and it'll make for great stories later too. It's fine. How are you different today than you were five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago? Oh, well, for sure. I just don't worry about a lot. I've spent uh, you know too much time in spending any time yeah, trying to make my worth uh, attached to like productivity or how hard I worked or how what I did with my talents and how intense, like, did I use them right? And, and you know, have I created the life? I would really like uh, back off on that and, and still do my best and still use my talents 
and use my time wisely, but just have have a little bit more faith that that life is 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 more about that. I worry about so few things now. There's some things that I just would have really like I I'm a different kind of mother. I'm I'm a different friend. I'm you know, and and honestly, after Christopher died, I'm an entirely different person. I I I am. I'm just a different person. I care about different things. I don't care about other things. I I don't worry as much. When the worst thing that you can think of happens, after and you survive it, and you're surprised, you just think, oh, okay, all right, well, here we go. What else? What else are we gonna do? And and I know that seems kind of vague, but anyone who's been through like grief, I think understands it's and comes out through it. I think, oh, okay. So now, so now what? And I, and I find myself uh, just really trying to, you know, live like Christopher did in the sense that, you know, he was happy, even though things weren't perfect, they were far from perfect. And he created that for himself. And I just think, oh yeah, no one's coming to save me. No one's coming to make this all better. I got to create my own joy. I've got to create the the kind of life that I want to live right now. No one else is going to do that with me. And if I can find, and I have found like a group of friends and family members that want, want to build that with me, then it just makes everything so much better. So it's more of like inviting people in on the fun instead of trying to like control, like what my kids do or control other situations. There's, there's no control. And it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Well, and I think each of us are going to go through our own hard and our own trial. And if we can take that as what, how God is trying to teach us to live different. Yeah. Lisa, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Oh, thanks. This next weekend is one of my favorite weekends of the year, General Conference. And I think it would be great to invite all of us to look for our personal message in conference this year. And it is going to be different for each one of us. Thank you for being here and hop on over to Instagram at Magnify Community for more inspiration and conversation. And of course, subscribe and listen to the Magnify podcast wherever you get your shows. See you next week.